Hey guys, it's Kelly, and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken Podcast. So, I have been reading a lot lately. I used to read when I was younger. It was a great escape for me. And I don't know what brought on reading again, but um, it's been it's been good, and I've been enjoying it. But I read one book, and I talked about it before, The Living Dead Girl, that, you know, really hit close to home. Well, I read another book, and it was called If You Tell by Greg Olson. I don't want to give too much of the book away, but if you look up Shelley Notak in Raymond, Washington, it is based on the stories of her abuse to her children and also to the murders that she was convicted of. And the book itself was actually very well written. It's very hard to read, I will admit that. It gets pretty graphic. But at the end, there was a forensic psychologist, and his name was Michael Stone. And he went in and started talking about children of sadistic parents. And I guess there's a 22 scale to sadistic people or something. I can't remember all the details about it. But the thing that struck so close to home was the children part and how children of sadistic parents grow up. And I really related to a lot of things that he said. In fact, after I had finished the book, I talked to my husband and I was hysterical and crying. And I was just like realizing a lot of things that were said that I still do today. But his thoughts about everything, it um, it made me realize a lot of things. So... One of the things he talks about is when children of sadistic parents grow up to be adults. And the biggest thing is, is once they realize that their life is not normal, they're usually adults. And the damage is already done to their souls, is the way that he put it. And... It takes a lot of work, and sometimes it's irreversible damage. And obviously, I relate to that in a lot of ways because everything that I went through started before I was old enough to remember and ended when I was 26. So it was my entire life. And I remember the moment that I finally realized that things weren't 100% normal in my life. And I've talked about it before in previous episodes. I believe I've talked about it on TikTok. But um, I had gone to support groups and they handed me the wheel of power and control. I was going to the support groups because of my ex-husband And they handed me this thing that I was all of a sudden reading. 
And it was crazy because I just started crying. And the facilitator looked at me and was like, does it remind you of your husband? Not my current husband, but my ex-husband. And I said, it actually, it, um, it reminds me of my parents. I think I might be being abused. And it was just like crazy. So I'm going to read some of the things on there. Just in case anyone hasn't seen it, you can Google it. But um, using coercion and threats, making and or carrying out threats to do something to hurt the victim, threatening to leave the victim to commit suicide, to report them to welfare, making them drop charges, making them do illegal things. So when I read that, I mean, there were things that they made me do that was illegal. And I I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know a lot of the things were illegal at the time that it was done. But that one started to hit. And then I moved on to the next rung of the wheel, which is using intimidation. Making the victim afraid by using looks, actions, gestures, smashing things, destroying their property, abusing pets, displaying weapons. So there was this look that my father used to give to me all the time. And I can't describe it. I've tried to think of words and it it never feels accurate. It was like ice cold. His eyes were just ice cold but he had this look of enjoyment. Like he knew that I was terrified because I was obviously shaking and, you know, showing signs of that, but it was like he enjoyed it. But his eyes just went so cold and dark and he would just, I don't know, I just, the it's just the look that sends shivers down your spine. I don't know how else to explain it. So then I moved on to the next rung, which is using emotional abuse, putting the victim down, making them feel bad about themselves, calling them names, making her think she's crazy, playing mind games, humiliating her, making her feel guilty. I was trying to make it gender neutral, but this one is, it says her as the victim. It's dated outdated obviously this one was hard because the humiliating part I knew that instantly because I remembered all the times that they would make fun of me in front of the entire family and in front of you know friends that I had and it was I mean I was humiliated all the time so then I go to the next rung using isolation, controlling what they do, who they see and talk to, what they read, where they go, limiting their outside involvement, using jealousy to justify actions. This did not really ring true for my parents, but it definitely did for my ex-husband. Minimizing, denying, and blaming Uh, Making light of the abuse and not taking their concerns about it seriously, saying the abuse didn't happen, 
shifting responsibility for the abusive behavior, saying that they caused it. Obviously, that was in bulk. Um, Anytime anything happened, it was because I did this or I did that. And if I didn't do this, then they wouldn't have done that. There were so many punishments. I mean, I think anyone that's been listening heard the story about the principal. He didn't do anything to me. None of that happened. So he said. But when he did talk about the things that happened that night, it was because I told when I wasn't supposed to and I wasn't behaving properly. So that kind of... That went along also with the playing mind games. It's gaslighting. It's saying that the abuse never happened, but it's also admitting that it happened and blaming. So it's the same thing as I said. It's two truths that cannot be true at the same time. So I think that played like a huge part in why I didn't know that it wasn't normal, but I also thought it was normal. And that's kind of what the purpose of the mind games were. So then at the next rung, it says using children, making them feel guilty about the children, using the children to relay messages, using visitation to harass them, threatening to take the children away. They did. They threatened to take custody of my daughters from me. They successfully did it once, but I was able to fight and got custody back pretty quickly of my oldest daughter. They used CPS for that. But again, I've explained in bulk how they abused the CPS system as a way to try to control me and do things. And leaving was terrifying because honestly, I thought I was going to lose my children and I did. Yes, it was to my ex-husband, but they were the ones that funded that and fueled that and made it happen. So the threats they made good on for that, definitely. This one is using male privilege. Um, I don't like that they use the word male because my mother did it just as much, but treating them like a servant, making all the big decisions, asking, acting like the master of the castle, being the one that defines men's and women's roles. The way that I kind of experienced that more was the parent child roles And yes, I was treated like a servant, obviously. (laughs) I mean, it's modern day slavery. And they did make all big decisions. I wasn't allowed to move. I wasn't even allowed to get married. I wasn't allowed to do anything unless they approved of it. And my father had a very mob king-like mentality. It was like... I mean, he thought everybody had to be loyal to him. If you weren't with him, you were against him. It was it was kind of scary. And there was even times where he made claims that he actually was the head of the mob where we lived, which clearly wasn't true. 
but it was an intimidation. It was a way to control. Because if you tell your 16-year-old daughter that the movie The Godfather was made after your uncle, then, of course, that's going to put a very big amount of fear into them. And he definitely said that to me one night. And for the longest time, I believed it to be true. And it 100% is not true. So you move to the next rung. Using economic abuse, preventing them from getting or keeping a job, making them ask for money, giving them an allowance, taking their money, not letting them know or have access to the family income. Obviously, the last one did not apply. It did in a certain way, though. My great-grandparents left me and my brothers over $10,000 when they passed away. I was never given to it or given it. I was supposed to get it when I turned 18, but it was spent long before that. Uh, my mother used the excuse when I found out about it that it was used to pay for expenses while my father was in jail, which I later found out she was on food stamps. My grandmother was paying our rent. I transferred to a public school. So did my brother. Um, so there weren't any expenses that she needed. I mean, the money was spent on other things, whatever it was spent on. I don't know. But when I found out it was too late, but they definitely did sabotage jobs. Like I said, I was allowed to work during the holidays. And I think it was to explain why there was lavish gifts to my children. Um, that's just my guess. I don't know why, but they would refuse to babysit knowing that it was already prearranged. They would also go into my work. And I mean, they just caused so many problems. I can't even tell you how many times they would talk to bosses of mine and explain my quote unquote mental illness issues. So it definitely affected my jobs, my child support went straight into my father's bank account. And I had to ask for my money from his bank account. I never knew how much I had. I just know that I was given $20 a day, and that's all I was allowed to have. I, at the time, had no idea that the sales were sales. I didn't know that there was money exchanged. So that definitely resonated with me. But when I read this, I didn't know about the sales, but the child support was the big thing there. And... um. Yeah, he definitely took my money and all of that. So that is the whole wheel of power and control. And it was really hard to read because I just, you know, I didn't know. But when I read that, I did know. And I thought that it was domestic violence. I didn't see any further than that. And I just, I kind of started to close down a little bit, like shut down, I think. And when I got that, I was 
well into adulthood. Um, it's about 24, I think it was in 2007. And, um, it was a couple years before I left. No, actually that's incorrect. It was a 2008. So yeah, I was 24, 25 years old when I got that. And what this forensic psychologist explains is by the time the children realize that their life is anything but normal, the damage is already done because their normal was their life and their adults finding out that their life was not normal. So how do you get past that? How do you get over that? And that was one of the things that upset me the most when I was reading this book was because of what they talked about with that. And I don't want to quote the book, but it just basically goes into depth about that. So I started to realize a lot of things and I isolate I isolate a lot and it's not it's not a depression type of isolation. I think it's more protection. It could just be old habits where I just don't want to let anyone get too close, but it's like I had an argument with my husband tonight which I have as everyone know knows I've been pretty stressed about the trial and this waiting for a verdict 30 hours in, um, it's getting to me, but just arguing with him, I just, I don't know how to explain it. I don't want to say like I pushed buttons cause I definitely wasn't attempting to do that, but it was like, it had to get to a certain level of chaos before I could think clear headed because it's like, I don't know how to function unless there's a certain level of chaos. I don't know how to stop an argument. And it's probably very much due to the emotional abuse that I had to deal with because arguments were always chaos. When I was younger, if I did something wrong, and even if it was something as trivial as they found out I stayed up past my bedtime it was chaos and it was just a lot I was under six years old I want to say I was maybe four if that I don't remember um I don't entirely remember everything but I was told later by an uncle (laughs) about it um I had whispered something into my cousin's ear and my mother wanted to know what I had said and I refused to tell her because I used a bad word. Um, I, I was watching Spaceballs and I said that he was about to get shot in the male private part, but I used the actual word and my mother said, what did you say to her? And I got I, I got sent to my room, locked in my room, and I wasn't allowed to eat dinner, which, I mean, anyone that's Gen Z, later millennial, that was a typical 
punishment is, you know, go to bed without dinner. But I was locked in my room for days and I stayed in there and I could hear people coming and going because the bathroom was like right across the hall from my bedroom. And that just, it was too far. But, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. And there was a lot of things like that where, I mean, even when I was older, I used the wrong cup because I wasn't allowed to use my mother's Mickey Mouse club cups because the Mickey Mouse, I mean, this, it's so stupid. I, was, I always made iced coffee. I don't like hot coffee. I like iced coffee. And I guess when I poured the coffee on the ice, it cracked the cup apparently. I never saw it happen. It doesn't happen to the cups I have now. So, But I was barred from using them. And when I grabbed one of those cups, he came up behind me and kind of pressed himself up against me to pin me between him and the counter. And when I finally got away, he struck me in the face and I fell to the ground. I think I lost consciousness. It was definitely blurred. And then, um, you know, that wasn't a normal punishment, but to me it was because there was a lot of times previous to that where he had um, assaulted me physically and caused injuries that were obvious, bruises, black eyes, split uh, cheeks, split lips. And I remember one time the police had come out and the police officer told me that I had to take whatever punishment they wanted, that even if I was an adult, they were still my parents and I was living under their roof. Literally, that's what the police officer told me. And I remember running up to him saying, look at what he does to me. Like, look at what they do. And my face was bleeding and the cops did nothing. And that house, I believe I spoke about before. I was 17, 18 when that happened, maybe even 19. I mean, I, I was very old and I had a police officer telling me that I have to take this punishment as if getting your face smashed off the bathroom counter to where your cheek is split open is punishment. So I'm kind of babbling here. I'm trying to keep myself together. I'm like fighting off a panic attack the best I can right now. I have been very anxious all day, very anxious since yesterday, um, still having the nightmares. So um, really trying to work through this right now. Uh, if you could see me, I'm, I'm shaking. <laughs> but um, that was that was one of the biggest things was the people that I would have helped me and that were supposed to help me were part of the ring. So they weren't exactly there to help and they were there to actually assist in making it normal. So that story, I was, it was literally maybe 20 years ago 
And it continued for another 16 years after that. Ish, no. Six years, I can't add today. Like I said, my mind's. But if you sit here as an adult and you don't know what's normal and you don't know that your parents are sadists or psychopaths, how do you overcome it when the damage is done at such a young age? And it's like there was a certain level of much housing by proxy that happened and I think that this kind of extends that as well. And I mean, not in the way where they were making me sick or pretending I was sick and giving me meds that I didn't need to, but it was the same kind of psychological abuse, damage, whatever you want to call it, where I would reach out for help because it didn't feel like it was normal. And then the person that was supposed to help told me that it was normal, but yet it wasn't. So then here I am as an adult and the damage is there. And honestly, I know I have cognitive problems and it could potentially be from the multiple sclerosis attacking my brain, but it could also be from brain damage, from having my head hit so many times. And it's like, I don't like medical procedures. I need a sedative just to get an x-ray or to get a CT scan. An MRI is impossible. I am terrified of amnesia, not amnesia, sorry, anesthesia. Anesthesia, that sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but... um, I can't be knocked out for it and I can't make it through the hour that it would take. So it's like I'm stuck not knowing the full damage that they did, but there was a lot of head injuries that I sustained and my thought process doesn't always work, which could be from that also could be from the constant, consistent emotional and psychological abuse There's just so much that after I read what this forensic person wrote that I realized, you know, I create chaos because that's all I knew and I don't know how to solve things without it. And when I say create chaos, I don't mean, you know, I... (sighs) I scream or things like that, but it's just, I can't, I can't figure out how to explain it, but it's just, I can't just have like a simple conversation. It's like the chaos is what brings calm to the storm. Like I need the chaos before it, but I just, I can't help but wonder if some of the things that I go through and some of the things that have pushed friends away and pushed people away and could potentially push my husband away are a result of what they did because they did it at such a young age. They started at such a young age and I was well into adulthood when I left. And for the longest time, I still loved my parents 
And for a while, I missed them. But then I realized that I didn't actually miss them, that I was missing the people that I thought that they were, the people they never were, and the people they never could be. But now I miss having parents. And I never had them, but missing someone is just the anxiety of seeing them again. So you are able to miss someone you've never actually met or had. But it's like, I don't have a mom that I can call right now and talk about problems that I'm having in my marriage to get advice. I don't have a father that I can call when my husband's at work and I'm scared. I don't even have a cool aunt to call to be like, hey, come have some wine with me. So my life is definitely forever marked. And the words that he used where he said that they damage the souls of their children before their children even know that the damage was there, I can feel that because I can definitely see certain things that I do and certain ways that I think about things that I don't know if I can ever undo. I don't know if some of the damage can ever be undone. And I don't know how to live my life after. And I'm still trying to work things out. And I love this podcast. But the podcast is so hard because it's dragging up a lot of things. And he even mentioned that this forensic psychologist is that some choose some children of sadistic parents, they choose to hide, to change their names and all of that stuff. And others choose to speak out publicly about it. And this is my first time speaking out, let alone publicly. I kind of just jumped right in to doing it publicly. And I wasn't really fully aware, I guess, of the repercussions of that and how hard it would be and everything that would come along with it. And I'm happy I'm doing it, but it is taking its toll on my heart, on my mind, on my soul, on my marriage, because it's difficult. It brings up a lot of emotions and When you're constantly on edge, the littlest thing can set you off. And it's not fair to other people. It's not even fair to myself. But, you know, I'm definitely trying and definitely working. But the one good thing, I think, from the podcast is I kept so much inside before. And I don't think I ever would have noticed a lot of things had I not started sharing publicly. I think sharing publicly is really what's helping me grow as a person, as a mother, as a wife, and as a survivor. 
it's helped me in a lot of ways. I falter and I fumble and fall to my knees sometimes. And I hate asking for help. I hate depending on people. But my husband is that person for me. And he can be an asshole like he was today. And you know what? He had a right to be an asshole to me. He said some pretty, uh, not like abusive, but some kind of mean things. Um, I was overly sensitive. But you know what? In a way, I deserved it. And he deserves to take his frustration out the way that he wants to because he's a grown man and he's allowed to. And if he wants to yell at me and, you know, be frustrated with me because I behaved in a weird way. That's not a normal adult way because of the damage. I mean, he has a right to react. And no, he is not a threat to me. No, he did not abuse me. He's not abusive. He just, oh, he just said something kind of, that kind of hurt my feelings. (laughs) We'll just leave it at that. Listen, I am not able to get around the house right now. Actually, I'm using my mobility scooter in my apartment, which I very rarely do. So he has to pick up a lot of slack. So yeah, he gets to tell me I don't do anything around the house. It hurts my feelings because those are things I actually like to do. And it's because I'm disabled. So I feel like it's like a shot at that. You know, it's not like LBS or anything, you know, um, babbling again. My mind is in like a thousand different places right now because of just everything that I'm reflecting on and a lot of things. So I'm going to leave it there before I start babbling about other things. But the surgery that my husband was supposed to have the other day got canceled because um, the person at the front office of the place is an idiot and we'll just leave it at that. But um, I have some episodes recorded of interviews with my husband and my best friends. And I'm going to try to edit it out where I talk about his surgery because at the time that I recorded, I didn't know it was going to be canceled. So if I talk about a surgery that didn't happen, um, me and Audacity, the program that I use to record, we got into it and I finally just gave up and just posted it. So um, if anyone's wondering how his surgery went, it didn't go. And that also added to the stress because it's like, because I was mentally prepared for it and then it was stressful. I had to deal with a lot of doctor's offices the day that we found out it was canceled and I don't do well with doctor's offices. It's even calling the front staff is triggering to me. And people just aren't nice anymore here. I don't know why. So it was, it's been a rough week so far. But I wanted to get this episode in because I haven't posted in a few days. And um, I'm going to post the other episodes probably over the next few days. Um... It's going to take editing and it's a type of editing that I haven't done yet. So I'm good at it while I'm in the process of recording and before I export the audio file. But 
I've never actually re-uploaded it and then edited it. So, um, and then added. So I might not do it. I might just say, you know, I don't have the energy for it. So anyways, the interviews are awesome. And I'm going to be doing hopefully two more. One, I'm going to have a good friend of mine that is a survivor as well. And we're going to talk about social media and sharing our stories. Um, She definitely also has a really good perspective of what us survivors go through, which I've talked about before with the cyberbullying and the people with the nasty comments and those types of things. And then I'm trying to get my friend that I've been friends with since high school. Um, I think he's a little bit ashamed that he didn't know what was happening, but his perspective, I really want. So if he's not going to do the interview, I'm going to ask at the very least if I can share the things that me and him have talked about recently, because it just, it shows so much how it could potentially be right in front of your face and you wouldn't even know. I think, like I said, he feels ashamed that he didn't notice, but it wasn't his fault. It wasn't that he wasn't noticing, that he wasn't like paying enough attention. It was that I was that good at hiding it. So I really hope that he does it. But if not, I definitely will still share that story with his permission. Um, He's going through some things right now. So I'm going to try to get some more guests on here in all different aspects because I really want people to understand how close to home sex trafficking is. Another good friend of mine, I'm not going to share too much of her story, but she's going to give an unbelievable perspective. And I'm so proud of her. And I am so excited to have her on. And the story, her story is amazing the amount of strength that she had. And I am so honored that she's going to share it publicly on my podcast. But if there's anyone else out there that wants to be a guest, just please send a message. All my social media is in the descriptions um, because I'd like to have some guests on. I mean, I feel like I sit here and I just talk to myself a lot, but... I can't bring it close to home and show it that way just myself by telling, you know, well, this is what I did. This is what happened to me. So I think bringing other people in um, will really help bring that perspective because as you all know, I firmly believe that you can't change anything unless you talk about it. The more you talk about it, the more awareness that comes. And um, I'm hoping that we get a verdict soon. I'm not optimistic about it at all. I just, I don't think she's going to be convicted. I don't know if that's just because that's what I'm used to, where nobody that hurts me ever actually gets in trouble for it. But I... Just looking at it, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm I'm not optimistic about it, especially now that it's been taking 30 hours. But 
the one thing I want to end with, and I know this is a pretty long episode. I didn't mean for it to be, but the when I get anxious, I talk a lot. Um, pay attention to things that are said. So um, IV Family Farms on TikTok. I follow her. I'm friends with her. She explained it perfectly. When you're watching the media, you know, listen to how they talk about it. There's no such thing as a child prostitute. There's no underage woman or underage girl. It's a child. You know, see how the media reports because they're going to say things in a certain way. And if you hear them talk about underage prostitute, they are help helping feed the demand is the way that she said it and she's right people look at it that way and think that you know there's child prostitutes but it's not and it's the one thing I never understood when somebody got arrested they were never charged with the rape of a minor because if a child can't consent to the sex they can't consent to the sale of the sex but if they're not able to consent to the sex, then it's rape. So why aren't they charged with it? So that's just a couple of things that you can listen for. The other thing, if she is found not guilty, uh, it's not necessarily some big, huge conspiracy theory that the government is protecting her and things like that. Um, the prosecution didn't do their jobs. And they tried the case the best that they could from what I've read, but I don't think they separated her and Jeffrey Epstein enough that I think it does create a certain level of doubt that she was his puppet, even though she wasn't. Um, So it could be that. It doesn't have to be a conspiracy if she's found not guilty. See, when... You try a case that has a co-defendant. The co-defendant is usually arrested at the same time and is still alive. And that's not the case now. So the prosecution had a hard job in proving that it was her acting alone in certain cases. And I just, from the transcripts and things that I've seen, I don't think that this prosecutor portrayed that well enough. And obviously Jeffrey Epstein being arrested year a year prior to her and also not being alive while this trial took place kind of put that doubt there. And I think that that made the prosecuting this case very difficult. And you also have the misbelief that people look at women as victims and only victims that they're not perpetrators so that plays a part in it too so whether she's found guilty or not um remember the survivors because people if she's found not guilty the victims and survivors of her they're not only going to be devastated that the person that hurt them is not going away for it and got off scot-free. They're also going to see your videos about your conspiracy theories, which is going to do damage to them. So 
when the ver- when the verdict comes, I'll try to do an episode and talk about it. But honestly, if it's a not guilty, I don't know what my mental state is going to be and if I'm going to be able to. Some people are making claims on Twitter and a certain person that recently blocked me, but I'm sure is still watching, um, said this was the one chance that the government had to end sex trafficking, and it's not. This isn't the only chance. It is one of them, but it's not the only one. But the one thing that this trial did do is it showed other victims that we can speak up. We can speak our truths. We can face our sex traffickers in court, and hopefully it gives other victims and survivors the strength to do what these four amazing women did in this trial. But like I said, please keep in mind, those four were not the only victims. And this is going to affect a lot of survivors all over the world. And it's going to be rough. So again, I just ask, keep the conspiracy theories at a minimum because it just hurts the victims and survivors It doesn't help anyone except the sex traffickers. So I'll leave it there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sitting with me for the past 45 minutes. Um, It's like five in the morning, so I'm probably not going to add music. I'm just going to upload real quick to get it out of the way. Um, I'll try to record and put up the the interview episodes over the next couple of days. Um, things should slow down a little bit with the craziness that is my life. Um, so as always, thank you for all your love and support and I'll talk with y'all soon. Have a good one.